0: One more thing, Uh, you're going to need, before our time together is over, uh, a couple of uh, sticky notes and a pen, and uh, hopefully you got one coming in this morning. Um, If you did not, please raise your hand, it's going to be important so that Sheila can make sure that you get one. Everybody's got a little pad of sticky notes and a pen? If not, raise your hand. Eric doesn't have one. What's wrong with Eric? I don't know. All right. You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles is actually the full name of the book. There's 66 books in this one book. And there's a place in the Bible kind of two-thirds of the way through that marks the the, the boundary between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And... The book of the Acts of the Apostles is the fifth book in the New Testament. So when you get to that little boundary marker, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you get to Acts. And when you find Acts, turn to the 10th chapter, chapter 10. Um, I'm, I have to be absolutely frank and honest with you, I have been struggling all week uh, with this... Uh, with this message and here's the reason why i have uh for i usually plan things i'm usually at least a month ahead in terms of where i think i'm supposed to go in terms of the teaching ministry in our church and um so i have been planning on something for the next three weeks a series uh that i'll be introducing in just a moment but i i all week i've been having cold feet and I don't really know why. It's not anything, I mean, what I want to share with you today isn't anything controversial in the, in the least. And it's nothing embarrassing. And, but I just kept feeling like, this, are you sure, Lord? Is this really the right thing we should be doing? And it wasn't actually until I was driving up here this morning that the case got settled for me. And in fact, Ramona asked me before the service, we were talking about a closing song for the service today. And i guess i 'm giving it away. there will be a closing song at the, at the sur- end of the service and um, she asked me, so what are you preaching about today and i said well i don 't really know <laughs> and then i and then I just I felt the Lord say, "Yes, you do <laughs> stop it <laughs> so i 'm going to go ahead with this uh, and and the reason i 'm mentioning that to you is because you know, not' it 's really kind of uh, oprah ish i think i 'm just sort of uh, expressing my my feelings before you, because um, it really doesn't matter to you. But anyway, some of you will remember, some of you will recall that five months ago, this weekend actually, um, was my first Sunday standing in front of you uh, with the the um, position of pastor of Crossroads. And um, by the way, I'm so... This is really a, dive, uh, a diversion, but I, I'm I'm so grateful that after after just five months, so many of you have uh, um, you know, feel confident even already to address me as pastor. That means a lot to me. Um, I mean, it, it's uh, a pastor of a church is yeah yeah in some sense it's sort of a title, sort of a position, sort of an office, but it it, it needs to be much more than that. And uh, if there's ever going to be the kind of relationship between a congregation and a the pastor, there should be, and that relationship has to be earned. So, if in five months' time, uh, many of you, as indicated by the the ways that you communicate with me, consider me your pastor, that is just a remarkable thing, and I I am very deeply moved by that. But will you uh, accept this from me? I would really appreciate you if you just call me Randy. Not Pastor Randy, and 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 it's just a personal thing, and I don't. And please don't feel offended uh, in any way. It's just you know I don't I don't want to reciprocate by, by calling you you know Plumber Joe or, you know, <laughs> so just just Randy is great. All right. <laughs> um, I guess Joe's not a plumber though. He's a truck salesman. Truck salesman Joe. go. Right. Anyway, you will recall some of you that five months ago, and I don't blame you if you don't, All right, but some of you will remember that five months ago, when when I first stood before you as your pastor, I took five weeks to talk about this, a vision of hope, the vision of Crossroads, not a new vision. I came, and one of the reasons why I felt drawn to uh, accept the assignment of um, partnering with you in this ministry was because the vision that had been established in this congregation uh, back when it was first founded was something that deeply resonated with my own soul. And so it was easy for me to stand before you and kind of collectively uh, take a look again and say, "This this is the vision. And when we talk about vision in a church, we're talking about what we picture or imagine that God wants to make of us. The image that he's painting. I picture the Lord um, with a big canvas, and, uh, and he's painting this glorious picture. It's not finished yet, but we, he gives us just a little insight, a little imagery in our mind. We can kind of see from the outlines and the, and the color palette. We kind of get a, an idea of what it's going to become. That's vision. That's vision. And um, so you'll recall some of you that we talked about how the vision for Crossroads involves five words, comfortable, dynamic, caring, solid, joyful. And we talked about uh, the vision statement for our church being that we want to be a comfortable place to seek, a dynamic place to worship, a caring place to heal, a solid place to grow, and a joyful place place to serve. That's the picture that we see and, and, and imagine God painting of us. And Frank or Sheila, could maybe you close uh, one or both of those doors back there? <laughs> got some happy kids. Either that or some very harried uh, teachers. I'm not sure which. <laughs> but today, I would like to ask you, now, five months later, to join me in a three-part discussion today, next week, and the week after that, not about our, our vision, what God is, is causing us to become, but our mission, um, which is what, our, what has God called us to do? What has God called us to do together? And I, I don't know about you, but I have been... I've been uh, uh, you know, I, I received the Lord as my Savior. I, I came to a faith in Christ at a very young age. I'm a lifer in this organization. And I, um, I was... How many of you know what the cradle roll is? Yeah, no, you don't. Okay, well, cradle roll used to be an expression that church people used for the... You know, they had a, a roll, a list of the babies uh, that belonged to the congregation or a part of the congregation outside the, the, the nursery. The cradle roll. I was on the cradle roll. So I, I know about church and church life. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't want to spend one more stinking day just doing church. I want to be part of a mission, an assignment from God. I want to partner with people who feel like and, uh, and accept the fact that God has called us together to do something in his name, by his power, for his kingdom and i believe that that's what crossroads is and that's why i'm here because i want to be part of that so i would like to talk with you over these next few weeks about a mission possible a mission that god has given to us and i again i'm not creating this i'm i'm kind of restating something you already know i've read all your documents i've i've looked at all of the stuff that form the the musings and the contemplations of what God called this church to be in its inception, and I and my heart rings with that. I am I am I want to be partnering with you in the fulfillment and seeing that uh, mission fulfilled, that assignment from God fulfilled. And I think it has three parts. I think that God has called Crossroads, and by the way, let me also say this, that if you're visiting with us, I understand that this may seem self-serving. You came to hear about God today. Trust me, I'm going to be talking about God. We're going to be reading the Bible. You didn't come to hear about Crossroads. I know all of that, but if you're visiting with us, I assume that you might want to at least know, you know something about this outfit, and so if, if nothing else, you can kind of chalk it up to that, but... I believe that the three things that comprise the mission that God has given this congregation, that he's called us to make introductions, to serve as escorts, and to offer assistance. And over the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about what I think those things mean. And you're going to find, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And some of you will think, will remember, oh, yeah, that's why I'm part of this outfit. And some of you will go, wow, I want to be part of that outfit. And some of you will go, "Oh, I didn't know that, but now I do." (laughs) So let's talk about mission possible. And and um, here's a little statement that I composed. It's not scripture. It's not divine. You don't have to take notes about this. Somebody asked me on the way in when they were looking at the pen and the and the uh, sticky notes, "Is there going to be a test today?" And no, there's not. Um, But this is a statement that I just something I wrote down to try to capture the sense of all that I am picking up from the Lord, from the those of you who have been part of this church for a long time and have tried to communicate to me what you're about and what you feel God has called you to. And I just placed it into a little uh, one sentence statement of mission. Our mission is to introduce others to the love of Christ. That's first. Second, to escort them along the path of devotion to him. And third, to assist them in fulfilling their destinies. Um, So the first part of this statement of vision is to introduce others to the love of Christ, to make introductions. And I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read several verses there. But before I do that, let me take you back. You don't have to turn there, but let me just tell you where it is. I'm taking you back to Luke chapter 5. And the reason that I'm doing this is, and you'll have to stick with me here for a minute. This is going to test your, or no, there's no tests today. This is going to tax your brain just a little bit. And that is what we're going to read in Acts chapter 10 happens about 10 years after what I'm going to tell you about from Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus was uh, meeting with Matthew and his sinning buddies. Let me tell you about Matthew. Jesus and his disciples were on the road traveling, and they came to Matthew's tax collecting booth. He was parked along a major thoroughfare to collect tax. Uh, not unlike when you come over the Benicia Bridge, as I do very often, and give that guy three bucks anyway this is what they he parked himself right along uh, a main thoroughfare to collect taxes for rome the occupying power that held palestine right matthew was a jew can you imagine how his jewish um, friends and relatives perceived matthew none of us really like tax collectors anyway how many of you are really happy when you meet an irs or, or someone from the irs or they give you a caller like they didn't to me the other day, sent me a letter. Just the just the IRS on the outside of the envelope kind of does something to you. You know, it's like, oh, ah, I don't like that. Well, Matthew was a he was an IRS agent for Rome, an occupying power. He was despised by his Jewish brethren as a traitor, and on top of that, a traitor, and on top of that, a tax collector. He was just Really not esteemed very highly. Jesus and his disciples came to Matthew's tax collecting booth and Jesus looked him in the eye and said, I want you to follow me. (laughs) Bold statement. And the thing is, Matthew dropped what he was doing and followed Jesus. From that day on, he became one of the disciples. And Matthew had been so impacted by whatever was communicated from the Savior to that man over, across whatever counter or desk he had set up. When he looked him in the eye and called him to be one of his followers, something so deeply impacted and changed Matthew's life that he said, All my friends got to know about this. And the only way, the best way that Matthew thought he could communicate to his friends about what he had just discovered was to throw a party. Evidently, he was pretty good at that. So he had a party and invited all his sinning buddies over so they could rub shoulders with Jesus and perhaps meet him or encounter in him the same thing that Matthew had discovered. So Jesus and his disciples are with Matthew and at this party that's going on. And as was the case in most situations, Jesus was followed to this party by the religious elite, the scribes and Pharisees, those who made it their business to kind of be the spiritual policemen, right? So they're there at this party and they see Jesus, a Jew, eating, eating, with tax collectors and sinners, and he would—they were so upset by that, and they got Jesus's disciples alone, and they and they um, they said to him, "Why?" They, they're talking about Jesus, and they uh, ask his disciples, and Jesus said, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" And Jesus's answer is so beautiful. Jesus answered to them, verse thirty-one of Luke chapter five. It says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Um, I came for the sick. Now, of course, the scribes and Pharisees, you know, they thought they were well. <laughs> they really weren't. But Jesus was making a point. Yeah, I'm going to hang out with sinners because they need me. And Jesus' disciples, get the picture now, Jesus' disciples are there. They hear him say these things when asked, why do you eat with sinners? Because I came for the sinners. They hear him say that, right? Now, 10 years later, we're in Acts chapter 10. And actually, turn to Acts chapter 11, one more chapter, because this is at the end of what we're going to read about today. Chapter 11, I'm going to read just the first three verses, because... Chapter 10 is all about Peter, one of the disciples, who goes to the house of a Gentile. And for the very first time, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, crosses the boundary from Judaism, from Jews to Gentiles. Because to this point, 10 years into the church, it's all about converted Jews. Blast off. It always gets me when that thing kicks, kicks in like that. Sorry. Anyway, um, so the church is populated all by Jewish people, the, the disciples, uh, all of the people who are part the thousands of people at this point who are part of the church in Jerusalem. They're all Jews. Peter, we're going to read about how he goes to the house of a Gentile and Gentiles are converted. And he reports back to his Jewish brethren, to the disciples, the same guys who were there and heard what Jesus had to say ten years earlier to the scribes and Pharisees. They, This is what we hear them say. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, that means Jews, those of the circumcision contended with him saying... You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? Who does that sound like? Yeah. In 10 years, something of a Pharisee, a Pharisee has sprouted up in even the disciples. Boy, it happens fast. There's a little Pharisee inside of every one of us. There is. Because Phariseeism, I don't even know if that's a word, is about meism. Protecting my little world, my little scheme, my little viewpoint, my little perspective. And if you violate that, then you're them. You're on the outside. It's an us and them. And you've heard me say this once, if not a hundred times. Get ready, you'll hear me say it a lot more. It's not about us. It's not about us. Uh, I think it was last week that the shuttle took off. Wasn't that recently? Yes. uh, Yes, Pastor. That's right. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten so ho-hum about these space uh, space flights, we don't even notice anymore. But in case you've forgotten, it had been quite a while because of all of the mess that NASA was in. And recently, they fired off another space shuttle. When that thing rockets up through the atmosphere and breaks free of the gravitational pull of the Earth, you know how much? I don't know. But can you imagine how much thrust is involved in that? How much it takes to shove that projectile out of the gravitational pull of Earth's gravity? That's kind of redundant. Gravitational pull of Earth? <laughs> A lot. A lot. More than my little Petri Cruiser out there has, I can tell you that for sure. (laughs) And a whole lot more than my little minivan has. (laughs) You know, there's kind of a gravitational pull in all of our lives towards self-centeredness. Me first, my little world, am I getting blessed? How spiritual am I getting? Is God blessing me and my little family? And... You know, all of those things are great. God wants to bless you. He wants you to become more spiritual. He wants you to have all of the depth of relationship that you possibly can have with him. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's not why he called us. What did he say? He said, go. Go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm about ready to fire you like a rocket out of that gravitational pull that always draws you back towards self-centeredness. I'm going to thrust you out beyond it. But it's a perpetual thing. Pharisaism is always kind of giving in to that me first gravitational pull. Jesus is always about firing us beyond it. And it isn't easy, and it isn't comfortable, and it's all the time. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, to Judea, that's the surrounding county, to Samaria, the next county over, to the whole world. He's firing us out beyond it. And Peter escaped the gravitational pull of Pharisaism. I believe God wants this church to, wants me to, wants you to, and we've can. Learn something from how Peter escaped. Uh, and that's why I've asked you to turn to Acts chapter 10, as we deal with the subject of making introductions, which is the most important part of our, or the first part, of our uh, congregation's uh, mission. Escaping the gravitational pull of Pharisaism, uh, to me, involves a four-step process. Identify, and it's and you know for me things are easier to remember if they all begin with the same letter. So I've got identify, intercede, interact, and invite. And I want to see, I want you to look with me and see how these things, these four uh, steps, are, or this process, is part of what Peter experienced um, that allowed him to break the gravitational pull of Pharisaism. And the first of these uh, steps, identify those he has assigned you. Let's start reading. Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was uh, called the Italian regiment. Cornelius was the leader of a hundred men. He was a (coughs) Roman soldier who had 100 men under his authority. He was stationed in Caesarea. Um, Caesarea uh, Philippi was kind of a Roman outpost in Palestine. And from there, his men kept order and kept Rome's authority in place over um, the Jews. I won't go on to read uh, any more about Cornelius. Let me just summarize and tell you. He was a devout man. He, he, was a, he was Roman. He was a Gentile. had no business knowing the true God. He had no natural connections. He didn't have the word of God. He didn't go to the synagogue. I don't know how it was, but somehow, along the journey of his life, he came to have at least a a desire to know Jehovah the true god and he was doing everything he could think of to try to reach out to the true god but but he just didn't have any any understanding any knowledge he didn't know how to embrace this god but god saw him saw his heart saw the hunger of his heart and and sent a uh, an angel to appear before him and said to him can you imagine <laughs> How many of you have had an angel appear to you? That would be an awesome thing. A little startling. Maybe a little scary. And here this man all of a sudden has this angel appear before him and says, God has heard you. He sees the longing and hunger of your heart. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and send some of your men down to the city called Joppa. You're going to go to a certain house. Give them all the specifics of where to go, who to see, what to do. And when you get there, you're going to find a guy named Peter. Drag his sorry bones back here, and he will tell you. He will give you the missing information. He will tell you how to welcome this God into your life who you hunger for. So so Cornelius does that. He sends his men off to Joppa. They go by the book. They follow the directions the angel gave them. And remarkably, they come to the exact house where Peter's located. In the meantime, this is what's happening to Peter. Chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they were making ready, he fell into a trance. So he's on the roof waiting for lunch. Stomach's growling. He has a little vision. I have visions sometimes when I'm hungry. But but this one actually was from God. As opposed to the ones I have. You know, about pepperoni and and stuff like that. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners. So picture an an inverted parachute. You know, like, uh, yeah, tied up at the top, right? And... um, it was bound to the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. All stuff a Jewish boy should not eat. They were not kosher foods. And a voice came to him. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Now, he thinks it's a trick question. He thinks it's a test, and he wants to pass it big time. So he says, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And then a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Again. God was preparing Peter to see people differently. It wasn't about pigs and you know, other kinds of non-kosher foods. It was about people that Peter would have considered Less than worthy. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in my life that I, I, I hate to admit, I don't even see. I pass them on the street. I pass them in cars. I will even give them money across the cash register at a sh- grocery store, and I don't even see them. They're like, I don't know. They're just blank. They're just the clerk. They're just the guy in the other car. They're not people. Now like Verna Verna's a person. I know her. She goes to my church. But the barista at Starbucks? That's not a person. They just make my frappuccino. Right? God was preparing Peter to see people differently. Why? Because God has placed in the circle of all our lives influence. God has assigned us that we tend not to uh, acknowledge or register. And God was helping Peter to, uh, to begin the process of opening to identifying those he had been assigned outside of his little circle of fellowship. All of us have them, and we need to learn to recognize the people he, God, has placed in the circle of our life's influence. There are four types of these people, but and I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> let's, let's read this verse, okay, on the count of three, all together. One, two, three. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us, a sphere, pause, which is, means circle, right? Sphere, circle. Get up a sphere, which especially includes you. And Paul was talking about the Corinthians and saying, you guys are part of my circle of influence. He recognized that there was an orb, a sphere, a circle, a constellation. You guys use in your written materials, written materials, a constellation of influence. I shouldn't say you guys, we use in our written materials, a constellation of influence. All of us. And it it just boggles my mind that the God of heaven who loves those people so desperately would trust their eternal future to me and to you. But he does. He places them in our lives' influence so that we can introduce them, make an introduction to his love and forgiveness. There's four types of people. In your circle. First, your family. That's mine. That's Shiloh and Aaron's wedding. Ah, I love it. But you have a family. In fact, I think most all of you are related in this room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> these serve, these, people in your family are the toughest ones a lot of times, and I think it's a remarkable testament that there are so many family connections in this church because it's very difficult. They they're the ones that know you best, and they watch you like a hawk, and they see they see where the rubber meets the road. You claim to be a follower of Christ, all right? <laughs> Let's see, and they'll watch, and they'll watch, and they'll watch, and they'll watch. But they make no mistake about it, they're in your circle. I have a brother who's in my circle of influence who is far from God. And I have shared with him and shared with him, but he, you know, the the day is still coming for him to really give his life to the Lord. Friends and neighbors. We are in the process. In fact, the sign went up on our house on um, Friday. We're selling our home in San Jose. But God sent us there six years ago, not just to buy a house, but to live next door to Vi, Tom and Tommy, across the street from Peter and Jennifer and Samantha, two doors down from, I from, um, can't think of their names. They moved away. It escapes me. Sorry, it's old age. How about next door <laughs> to Bob and to Shahana? Two doors down and across the street from Susan. That's why God sent us there. He placed us there for them. And a lot of things that, you know, you, you, you think about the cube where you sit at work or the desk or whatever it is, wherever your office where you are. You're not there by chance. Oh, you you know, you, you complain because you don't have a view or you don't have a window or whatever. Uh, You know how much that matters to God? Not much. Ah. But the person who sits on the other side of the cube wall, oh, that person matters a lot to him. The people in the office next door, oh, they are precious to him. And he put you there for them. So that brings us to business or school associates. (laughs) Frequent. (laughs) Context. <laughs> all right, you got me there. Now I visit Starbucks every day, and what happens is—well, I don't go into that. But anyway, I so I've started praying for Winnie and Stephanie. I change my route sometimes, you know, uh, because of various things. So, but I, so I know where all the Starbucks are in the entire county, and currently, my current stop is at one in the Safeway store by my house. And usually the two girls that are working there when I go in are Winnie and Stephanie. I got their names. And I I pray for them. I've started to pray for them. But just recognizing this, just identifying that there are people in my life. I remember the day that... and Pardon me, I'm going a little longer than I should here. But I remember the day when I... It was like, sometimes I'm just so thick-headed, it's like the Lord has to fire a brick at me or something, you know? And I, I remember the day when I had gone in for about the hundredth time to the Arco station by where I live to pay for my gas, and this spiritual brick comes flying at my head, and boing! I all of a sudden realized, this guy is here every stinking day, and I don't know his name! To me, he wasn't a person. He was just the guy who took my money. And I remember the Lord kind of shoving my hand. What are you doing? And I reached across the counter and I took his. And he was shocked, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> and I shook his hand and I heard myself say, My name's Randy, what's yours? And what he wanted was money. But he <laughs> And I, I gave him some money, but first he gave me his name. And then every day after that, I prayed for him until the day he moved away. There are people in the circles of our lives influence, precious to God. The second thing we see here about how Peter escaped the gravitational pull of Phariseeism has to do with intercession. Intercession is a word for prayer. It's a type of prayer. It's for when you pray for someone else. And once you identify and and understand that there are people that God has placed in the circle of your life's influence to uh, introduce them to him and to his love, It's obvious that he wants you to begin to pray for them on a regular basis. And we see Peter contemplating what he's been seeing in this vision in verse um, 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, there's this contemplation. He's in a state of prayer and he's wondering within himself about what God has been showing him about people. And it's in those times as we begin to pray and, and, and invest ourselves in these people. By means of the of the investment we make in prayer, that amazing thing happens. We begin to hear their knocks on the door. And that's what happens to Peter. He's up there and he's and he's in this state of prayer and he hears the knock at the door of the people that Cornelius sent saying, "Um, is there a guy named Peter here? Uh, He's supposed to tell us about God. Those people that we just skip by, sometimes we don't even register that they're people. They they may not they may not want anything to do with the church, but I'll tell you very few people are not hungry for God and the love of Jesus and his forgiveness. And when we begin to bring them before the Lord in prayer, we'll start to hear, we'll start to hear the knock in their conversation, the things they say, the look. And we'll begin to see them differently and God will begin to build a place in our hearts of compassion towards them. Intercede for them regularly. Bring them to God in prayer, asking Him to cause their hearts to be open to His gospel and your testimony. I started praying, I don't know, four or five years ago for one of the barbers in the barbershop I go. He's not always my barber because it's not one of those frou-frou places where you go and make an appointment. You know, just as a barber pole spinning outside, you go in and take whatever seats open. But I happened to get several times this one guy named Pete. I remembered his name. because I saw the little license on the back of his chair. And so even though I didn't always get his chair when I would come, I started to pray for him because I figured, well, there's not a mistake involved in here. God, you know, didn't? uh, there's an arrangement here. So I started to pray for him. And you know what? I've never, I'm have never i not one of these talkative types. You know, get in the barber chair and just chat it up with the barber. I, I'm more, don't talk to me, just cut my hair. You know, that's me. Um, but I, I felt impressed to start to pray for Pete. And you know what happened? Oh, I'll spare you the long story. The guy in the chair next to him, the guy who had the station next to him, left, and a new guy came in. That guy's a Christian. This, this, there's a, there's a, a strategy going on here in heaven. God answers these kinds of prayers. The third thing that we see here is uh, that Peter modeled in terms of how the, God can help us break free from the gravitational pull of Pharisaism is to interact with these people. And it says in verse um, uh, mm, somewhere here, forgive me, I have Uh, If I take too long to find it, we'll get even longer than we are. But anyway, if you can go ahead and trust me, it's there. You'll read it. Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. Now, all the trouble that the Lord went to and all the detail involved in getting Cornelius' men to Peter, he could have easily sent Cornelius to Peter. But God arranged for Peter to go to them. And he enter, Peter entered the Gentile world for the sake of the gospel. And we need to find ways to interact with, to, to spend time with, to be with these people that God has placed in the circles of our, our lives' influence because when we seek ways to be with them and build genuine genuine friendships with them, they get to know us by what they see of Jesus in us. The better they get to know you, the more of him they'll see. One night, my wife and I were walking her dog. See, I said it right this time. So we were walking her dog. We went like three blocks. And, I, you know, one is good for me. I mean, three. I just, I'm not a big dog walker. I'm not a big dog fan. Anyway, we were on our way home. We were two doors away from our house. I just remember the names of our neighbors two doors down there. I forgot earlier. John and Candy. And they're two boys. So they, we saw them coming out of their house. And... And they were about ready to start a walk with their dog. And Sue says, let's go with them. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) How far are they going to (laughs) go? But she was right and I was wrong. And so we did. We walked with them just to have an excuse to be with them, to be around them, to let the love of Jesus in our lives shine before them. You know, those people ended up coming to our church and becoming part of of that congregation that we pastored in San Jose eventually. This stuff is part of God's plan. Finally, when Peter was in the house of a Gentile and began to open his mouth and to tell them what they'd been longing to hear, how it is that they could know the forgiveness of God and have relationship with him, it says that they believed. They were so hungry they believed and that the Holy Spirit came upon them just like they had at the disciples on the day of Pentecost. We can invite them, people, to know Him, and what that means is to watch for opportunities to introduce them to His love and forgiveness, or ask them to accompany you to a church gathering, where someone else like me can. We can partner together this, in this. We can do it together. I believe that God has called this congregation to an assignment, an assignment of making introductions. Now you've got this little pad and, and paper, and uh, pad of paper and a pen. I'd like you to, in the next few minutes, while the worship team comes, and you guys can do this later, while the worship team comes and begins to lead us in the closing song, we're going to sing to give you a moment to do this. I'd like for you to think about five people, five people, in the circle of your life's influence who need the love of Jesus. Would you write their first names only on this piece of paper? Worship team, come, please. Five names. When you've finished writing those names on that piece of paper, to bring your piece of paper, and stick it up on the wall right under this thermostat over here. Just put it on this wall. Make yourself a copy. So you're going to make two copies, all right? One you're going to stick on the wall. One you're going to stick in your Bible or your, or your wallet or something like that where you'll see it. And we're going to begin to do this stuff. more purposeful way. Worship team lead us while we write.